Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to someone else who has steered the reins off their industry lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has a track record of producing game-changing results year over year where the odds were stacked against him. That's my kind of man. We are talking to him today because he's a global sales leader and has spent 20 years leading technology companies towards triple digital revenue growth. How? Well, that's the disruption, modern selling. He's at the forefront of the digital sales revolution, coming to us live from New York. Please welcome our disruptor, Chief Revenue Officer at Kosaic, Remy Piazza. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I am good. I'm good today. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's beautiful outside the weather. It looks like spring's finally arrived. So everyone's spirits suddenly go up. Aren't you glad? Yeah, I'm very glad. Yeah. Yes, especially yeah. in that cold weather climate. Yeah, yeah. But you do have your hoodie on today, so. I have my hoodie on. Yeah, this is the world we live in. This is the world right? we live in. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to work twice as much. I'm going to wear what I want, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about this working and so forth. But before we get into that, I want you to tell me your main ingredient for disruption. Yeah, it's a great question. I've never had someone ask it like that before. I've made a career out of going, getting hired and going into companies and looking at what could be better and, and, and faster. And again, when you talk to a board, the board cares about two things, right? They care about growth and how fast you're going to bring it. And so I think my mind just has functioned that way. When I go in, I look at what's wrong with this place and how can we fix it? And, and that's not to say that if you're looking at a company that's gone from a million to five or 10 million in ARR that you're sort of shitting on what they did before because they got there and hey, kudos, right? Bravo. But what's going to take you from 10 to 20 to 50 to 100 won't work the way it did to get you to 10. I'm always thinking about that growth and, and thinking about how, how quickly can we, we can do it. So I think I'm naturally disruptive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe my well, parents would agree with you that. You know, that's the whole like broad industry of tech, right? It's, well, not just tech, but that's a really good broad industry that is fast growth, fast growth, right? What is your growth? How fast can we get there, right? And that yeah. has been the mantra for the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years, right? And growth has everything to do with revenues and sales. So as a change agent, right, especially in the industries that you're been, you've been in, like what has been the status quo with sales that needed disrupting? Yeah, so when I think about status quo, I, 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 I think about what sales was like when I first went into it. Like I, I got my start at Xerox, and they were 
they were the granddaddy of solution selling them. And they taught me how to sell this box that is a commodity. They taught me, hey, it's, it's not about selling the box. It's about selling, helping solve the customer's problems. And so you're, you're talking around it, so to speak. And, and there's a much, you're, you've got a 360 degree view of that, 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 that company and, and that person's issues. And how do I solve that with what I have to sell? Which sounds a little bit manipulative, but the truth is if you're, if you're trying, you know, there, it's also a great way to disqualify people that you can't help as well. And, and I think that it behooves us to do that. But I think old, like, and COVID has been a big factor here where we don't have the same access to the people that we used to. People have a lot more information than they used to. And I remember I had all my Xerox brochures and I was the keeper of the information. So if you wanted to know about our products and what people thought of them, you had, you had to call me, you had to talk to me. Now people are entering the buyer's journey or involving salespeople in the buyer's journey and depending on what survey you read, 40, 50, 60, or 80% of the way to already making a decision. So last you, stat I heard it was 65%. Yeah, I guess it depends on the on the industry, right? It, I think it does. Yeah, it definitely depends on the industry. So I think what needs to fundamentally change, and I think is changing, is the power relationship between the buyer and the seller. And of course, that even changes depending on whether you're sen- you're selling expensive. IT hardware or whether you're selling monthly subscription SaaS products, right? So there's always a risk on, 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 uh, on either side. And the risk for someone buying IT equipment is much higher on the customer side than it is on the seller side and on the month. So I think the relationship has to change the way we approach the, the fundamental, the salesperson's role has changed and needs to change. It's no longer, I'm gonna provide you with speeds and feeds as we used to call it at Xerox. It's about, I know I've got customers like you that have had similar issues. Let's talk about how they've solved those problems and find out if we can do the same or better for you, that kind of conversation. So it's much, much more consultative. You need to have a lot more knowledge about your client. You need to understand their specific pains because it's not you're not selling to these nebulous organizations. You're selling to human beings, and 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 how they interact with the problem is going to be different depending on where they sit within the within the, the organization you're talking with. So I think just that fundamental relationship between customer and seller and how we approach them is 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 that's that's the fundamental that to me that was the status quo before. We had all the, the salesperson had all the knowledge, right? How is that yeah. different? I mean, how is that hard for sales professionals today to wrap their wits around, right? Anytime there's disruption and changing in foundational selling or foundational yeah. basics, it's it's pretty hard. By the way, I have heard like many good salespeople say that they got like the, the best ones got to start at Xerox. Xerox really did have yeah. their shit down pat back in the day, didn't they? They, they really solution spin selling. They developed that with Neil Rackman, who wrote that book, Spin, and and that's they they were they authored that. I mean, they were the pioneers behind that. So yeah, yeah. And you've got different flavors of that today, like Challenger and whatnot. But they all come from that solution or spin selling. Yeah, it's it was a great company. Yeah. Yeah. So how is this change in the way selling needs to be done? How has that been difficult for sales? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think for people that rely 
well, people who rely on the old way of doing things like that face to face has been I think it's been challenging for them. And we've we've seen that in, in our own organization where people have relied heavily on the face to face and that relationship type selling. It's been it's been tough for those folks, I think, because it's it is more transactional now. And I think, yeah. And even people like myself that have been around for a long time got into sales when dirt was new and and just haven't haven't adjusted, right? So you often hear about the 18 year seller with one year of sales experience, right? They've they've just done the same thing over and over and over and over and over again for many years and somehow gotten by. So they haven't adjusted to the new reality. So yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. It's a tough answer though, because it's it's just you've you've just got to adjust to this is where your customer's point of view and how they do things matters, right? And you've got to adjust your selling approach to that. And and it's not about the way you want to do things, it's about how they want to buy. So understanding that buyer's journey has become a big effort for product marketing folks and sales folks who try to understand, okay, so what prompts you to enter the market for these services? Like, why are you looking at this to begin with? Was this something, was this a problem you discovered? Do you even know you have a problem? And then from there, what, what those, so they go to this from this awareness stage to, you know, I have a problem. What do I do about it to buying your solution? So there's all these different stages, but understanding that's really, really key and making sure that you are interacting with them the way they want, providing them with the information they need in terms of where they are in that journey and providing it in a, in a means that they want. And, and a lot of that today is peer, peer to peer. A lot of buyers out there trust their peers. And so they'll say, hey, I have this issue. Did you have this issue? Yeah, we had this issue. So what did you guys do? And they'll talk to their peers. And so it's really important to delve into those peer communities as well and make sure you understand where those conversations are, are being had and what's being said. Yeah, what do you think is the biggest change in the buyer journey as far as where the sales people enter based on where they used to? Because they're further down the chain, right? Yeah, I mean, we see we see a lot in, in, in my experience, we see a lot of, of folks coming to us when they've done just a tremendous amount of research. They have a pretty good handle on their problem and they they verily they they do understand who the players are in the industry and who they should be talking to. And that's called 65, 70% of the way, right? That's the biggest change that I've seen. Whereas before buyers would be, hey, we're just kicking tires right now. We think we have a problem. We're not sure who we should speak to. It's different. They're, they're much, much more educated now than they ever have been. How is that a challenge for sales teams today when you have such an educated consumer? And, and what is it that you do to disrupt this for the sales professionals to really become the experts, right? Yeah, I think I think if I'm looking at my role, I mean the whole I think the whole purpose behind the CR role is to create better alignment between sales, marketing and and, and we'll call it client success. Mm. So if you think about we call it the bow tie model and it's like on this side of the bow tie funnel model, this is where you land new accounts. And that used to be that sort of upside down triangle. But if you flip and then the other side of the bow tie is, hey, especially for SaaS companies, that's where I keep my clients, I upsell my clients and try to create recurring impact. And so bringing alignment between sales, customer service and marketing 
is key to really understanding that whole buyer journey. Because think about it. I mean, it used to be where the salesperson would 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 close the deal. Mm-hmm. And to the customer, the relationship's just starting. Right. And so you, the salesperson would drop off. You'd get this new person on, and that relationship wasn't very well thought out or certainly wasn't in terms of how do we keep them? How do we keep how do, how do we keep them engaged? How do we keep creating recurring values so they renew with us? Mm-hmm. Not at the end of the contract saying, hey, we don't. So I think aligning those functions and then really making sure that salespeople marketing, product marketing and sales enablement are well equipped to understand like why customers buy, what value does our product deliver? I just got off a call before this with one of our customers in London and we were basically having a conversation about that. We were surveying the customer, say, hey, like, what leads you to buy products like ours, right? Things like this. What are the problems our product solves for you? What would happen if these problems weren't solved? How did you hear about us? What do you like about our product? Questions like that, just making sure that what that information you're giving to the salesperson so they understand that value and they can speak to that value and sales enablement and, and can start creating messaging around that to help the salespeople in those conversations. And then understanding that giving people the use cases that they need to say, hey, here's how we help customers like you. Can we have a conversation about how we can do the same or maybe better for you? Those, those are more, you've got to have a, a broader base of knowledge and truly understand the value that your solution's driving versus just making the sale and disappearing and going to the next one. Right. So this bow tie model, right? I love this. That is not me, by the way. That is a company called Winning by Design. Jocko Vandekus, who I who I love and adore. And he's I took a course that he gave at Pavilion, which is a, a phenomenal sales think tank. And they're yeah, run by Sam Jacobs. He's it's an incredible organization and, and that was an incredible course. So yeah, go ahead. I didn't want to take credit for that. No, thanks. Thanks for that. So this bow tie model, you have implemented it. You like we it. We are implementing it. We yeah. are implementing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, it really, when you think about a bow tie, right? Take two triangles, put two them together. Funnels and you're putting them together, right? You're putting them together. And that describes, that basically articulates your entire customer journey from start sales cycle. So we'll call it, hey, from a customer standpoint, I think I've got a problem all the way to the end where I'm going to renew because this solution is constantly delivering recurring impact for me and everything in between. So yeah, it's we've, we've definitely implemented it and it's changed the way we thought about the client journey too and created much more alignment within our organization. What are some of the things that have, have improved besides that? Like give me some benchmarks or stats or things with clients like anecdotes. Account management now talks a lot more to sales and marketing because they get all the feedback from the client about how we're recurring impact is occurring or not occurring. And so that messaging goes straight to our marketing folks and goes straight to our salespeople in terms of how we can improve. It's also helped actually with Cosaic, it actually helped us pull out of a market where we have, yeah, we actually pulled out of the Asian market because well, first of all, it's a it's a unique market. Mm-hmm. You need the messaging and the problems that the folks in the Asian market deal with are much different than the North American and European markets. And so it actually, we were actually churning a lot of accounts in Asia. And we just found out that we really 
for a variety of reasons, should never have been in the Asian market to begin with because we should have been focusing on the North American markets and the European markets. And that feedback really came from the account management team that dealt with the churn and knew why these things were churning. So that was a direct result of that kind of communication that maybe before we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have seen. And it's allowed us to really double down in the areas that we're in where we can, we've got- Grow faster. Yeah, we can grow faster. Yeah, a lot faster. And we can dig deeper into the verticals that we're focused on versus what I, going, going an inch wide and an inch deep. It's like a market research, a constant market research funnel to yeah. sales and marketing, right? Yeah. And this has always been an age old problem, right? How do you take the silos of marketing and sales? <laughs> right? And put them together. It's always been an issue. And even yep. quality control. I mean, because you're keeping clients has a lot to do with quality control, right? And managing their expectations. Yeah. And that's, especially, and, yeah. Yep, especially in a SaaS business, right? Where valuations are really about what, how much of your business is recurring. And so that latter half of the bow tie funnel model is incredibly important as well. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been helpful in terms of improving front end sales and marketing, especially. Yeah. And even product, right? We get great feedback that we give to product as well. And so some of our new, we just released something or we're in the process of releasing something new. That was direct feedback from our clients. They're like, if you can help me with this problem, or this is where I see us as a, as a client making more money then this would be very interesting to us. And so we've, we've capitalized on that and we're, and, and that kind of feedback is gold, right? Where do you find the early adopters are of this type of selling the most? Where are early adopters in this type of selling? Yeah, this type of selling, what are the early adopters? Are these the companies that are just bent on fast growth? They know they have to change. They know they have to look at something. Is it a type of industry like SaaS, of course, right? FinTech. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, I, I can really only speak from my experience. I do find that tech tends to be on the bleeding edge of adopting more of these, we'll call them new ways or disruptive ways of selling because it is so hyper competitive and the expectations are high, especially when you're dealing with VCs and private equity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like they're definitely on top of this. And and some of the smaller companies coming are definitely on the bleeding edge a little bit more. It's like a big ship, right? It takes twice as long to turn than a yeah. small one. So they they're can more change. nimble, for sure. They're way more nimble. They're way more agile. Yeah, I, my experience has been the, the smaller tech companies tend to be on more on the bleeding edge of adopting some of these some of these sales tactics. Not all, mind you. I've definitely seen others that have still believe that, hey, we'll hire industry veterans, people that know the industry really, really well, and we'll scale our business to 100 million by doing that. And I, I'm not saying that's the wrong approach. What I'm saying is, is that beyond a certain level of growth, you can't you can't scale those people. So it's not repeatable. And so to me, that's a very old way of looking at things. But I think when in the earlier stages, when you're a million or less or even up to 10 million, I think you do tend that that's more is better. And hiring those types of profiles, I think, is better. But I think beyond that, when you're looking to scale, that's just not a it's not a not feasible. It's, yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's not a great go to market model for sure. How do you make your salespeople into these consultive like consultative experts, right? They really have to know the industry. They really have to know the problem. And yeah. 
You're right. A lot of these companies in fast growth, they can't scale with having the industry veterans. And sometimes with disruption, a hybrid type of person with disparate skill sets actually does the best because they have such a variety of knowledge and experience. But how do you do that? How do you make them more consultative is your question. Yeah. 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 I, I think there's much more awareness about the need to sell consultatively today than there was at least in in the worlds that I've been in. I'm sure there are many others that still believe it's it's like boiler room, right? You just pitch, 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 and you get the sale and you move on. And, and who cares if it's good for the client or not, as long as you're making money. I'm sure there's lots of that out there, but my, I've seen a lot more awareness and appreciation for the consultative sell. So now with that being said, consultative selling isn't a skill that you learn overnight that it's a very to me it's it's less about selling and it's almost about building people's business acumen up and asking the right questions knowing how to ask them when to ask them when to ask open-ended questions closed-ended questions not in a manipulative way but but just where you've got good level of business acumen and that takes quite frankly it takes years to do so i think it's why we've seen a segmentation in the actual sales role itself over the years. So, I mean, when I started selling, you did everything. I mean, you, you went prospected yourself, you found your new clients. When you know you landed the deal, you helped with the implementation of that client to a degree. That's right. And and you managed the client relationship after as well. That's right. Now you're seeing all these different roles. So now you've got this SDR model, BDR, MDR model where you know SDR handles does nothing but outbound and they're producing meetings for a salesperson whose their sole role is to be the closer. They go in there, they sell the deal, they close the deal, and then you've got an account management team. So all these roles have now been segmented, which is very unique from when, when I was in sales in early 2000s where people were still doing everything themselves. So to answer your question, and I'm getting I'm getting there. Is, um, <laughs> I know you are. Yeah, I do believe you can teach people how to sell consultatively. It's what's great about the SDR model because it's a, it's a more junior role and you can you can really help people and, and prospecting is tough. It's a tough job, but you learn how to consultatively sell and raise your level of business acumen. So I think it's a great training ground, if you will, for AEs, if you if we can call them that, account executives that will have that level of, of knowledge, can sell more consultatively, they can manage a sales process and they typically have a higher level of business acumen as well. So yeah, I think that model serves itself well, but continuously investing in people's education and upgrading their skills is critical. Like you've, you've got to do that. And today probably more than ever, given the just the hiring environment is, is, is pretty tough. Right. Yeah, that whole model and the segmentation has really changed over the past decade. What do you find the challenges with that? Well, this is where the communication and that disjointedness can happen. Yeah. You've got to make sure that you know, there's this whole concept of, of pods where you've got you've got an AE or a group of AEs supported by an SDR, an MDR, a group of MDRs and SDRs supported by client success. And so they sit in this pod and they and they focus on maybe a group of companies in a certain industry. And, and their whole reason for existing is to, as a unit, go in there 
and grow the business in that particular vertical. And of course, the you know, how they get compensated and, and their, their OKRs or KPIs are are all aligned. They're not fighting against each other. To me, that's a very interesting model in terms of creating alignment mm-hmm. and making sure that they're 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 a team and they're communicating and that really blows away the, the the silos as we traditionally know them right where account management is here sales is here yeah marketing is here it, it just collapses those into one yeah and so the the, the management structure the whole it becomes very different yeah absolutely and more effective and i think and rightfully so right so you make sure you've got to make sure those those folks are communicating and their and their goals are aligned yeah, well, it really lets people be experts in what they do, right? Yeah, and I think you need that today more than ever. Especially really, with an educated consumer, especially. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And understanding, again, how, what, what, what value your, your, your solution can deliver and then sharing that with the customer while uncovering their, their unique pains. And so, yeah, I think specialization is, is really key, yeah. Yeah. It's really understanding the two, the client's issue. I mean, the number one rule in branding, right? It aligns with this is that you never talk about your solution. You talk about the client's problem. That really makes it very real. At some point, the client wants to know your solution if you've duplicated his problem enough, don't you think? I do. Yeah. I mean, there's a saying that's very old, so I might be giving away my age or maybe no, no one's ever heard of it, but it was by, it was actually one of my first sales managers who told me, hey, you know what? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And I actually took that to heart. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So when you when you bond with someone, when, you, when you're asking them questions, both personally and professionally, I mean, that starts to create rapport, which isn't always easy to do. And it's not as, it's not a straight line that can take many turns, but, but I do believe that, yeah, I think it's really key to understand the client's issues. And you can speak to how you can solve those or how you can't solve them. I mean, right. I, we were looking for a, a few months ago, we were looking for a, an account based marketing platform and we had set up some, we had referrals from some of my network and we set up meetings and we sat down with this one company and we, we spoke to an SDR and it was just me and the SDR and she actually disqualified me as a client. She said, I'd love to do business with you. But here are the reasons why we shouldn't do business with you. And she actually said, and then I, and I asked her, I said, well, who do you think I should talk to? And she gave me three companies and we ended up going with someone she suggested. That's brilliant. I mean, that, that is brilliant. I, once we get to a certain stage, you can bet I'm going to go back to that company and I'm going to want to buy from them more so than anybody, given my experience with them where they said, look, you're just not, you're not our ideal client profile, right? It would be a mistake to bring you on because you just, it wouldn't work for yeah, we wouldn't reasons. service you well, right? It's, yeah, that was, is a company a that really understands what they do and who they do it for. And I tell that story a lot, especially to my to the folks internally, the sales folks internally. It's okay to tell someone, no, you don't actually fit our ICP. We're not the right solution for you. And and that take that's there's a lot of credibility in doing that. And I think it's all and it's profitable too. I mean, it is very profitable. Churn costs a lot of money, and and so it's just a, it's just a smart thing to do. Yeah, you've worked in a lot of different industries, and I guess that comes with being a change agent, right? You go in, yeah. you see things differently, right? So, yeah. fintech, I think telecom, right? Yeah. What other industries? Human capital management. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yep, quite a few. Yeah, which was your most challenging? Most challenging. They're all challenging just in different ways. I think the one that was I found the most difficult to change was the, the telecom industry. Yeah, I, I found there was a resistance to change there. They sold a lot of hardware, which which is a different sell than, than selling intangible versus an intangible is a very, very different sell. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they're regulated is a lot of people don't have the issues with regulation that telcos do. So I think for a lot of reasons, they were just less accepting of, of change, which is why I went back into tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> software SaaS. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a different world. It's, and you know, quite frankly, the margins are better. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly. Well, it's faster growth, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the margins are better. (laughs) Yes. And the margins are better. So SaaS is blowing up. I mean, you look at all the stats of all the SaaS companies that are coming out, enterprise SaaS. I mean, it's just skyrocketing exponentially, right? Yeah. And this type of selling is more and more important. How do you see the sales process in the next five to 10 years with educated consumers, the amount of glutton in the market from SaaS, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The demand for growth, fast growth. Where do you see that in the next five, three, five years? I guess it all depends on what what's going to happen with the economy too, and where that's going. We're seeing obviously inflation is becoming a big issue. Or I mean, there's a lot of money still out in the VC and private equity communities. They're they're sitting on lots and lots of money. I just talked to somebody in London this morning where, due to some capital capital gains laws that changed, there's a lot of lot of private equity and VCs are sitting on tons and tons of money looking for places to invest. So I think in the next five years, I, it depends on what will happen with the economy, but there's still a lot of money out there that people are looking to invest. So I don't, I don't necessarily see it slowing down, at least hopefully not. But I mean, I also don't have a crystal ball. So come I, on, Remy. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you. Elon Musk might have a better idea of what's going on than I do. But yeah, I, yeah I, I think, I think sat, the model is here to stay. I think it provides the ultimate flexibility for customers, which is what they want when they're buying solutions. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't see it going anywhere, but up. So you're in FinTech now and you'll probably be there for a while, right? It's a good industry. Yeah, it's a real good industry. Yeah, it's a great industry. What industry do you think really needs to be disrupted in sales? Industry? Yeah. That's a great question. I'd probably go back to telco just because I still know people that work there. And the way they're doing things is still the way that they've done things for years. It's like going to a website and getting a really good 1990s web experience. It's just, it's it's the same. I still think they do things very, very similarly. Now, I haven't been in the industry for a long time, so it's it's it might be a little bit unfair of me to say, but I do think that that's an industry that could use a good shakeup, but yeah, tough to I tell. Knew I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason I did. And I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. 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 I agree with it's, you. It's, I mean, it's, an, it's been a lot. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. It's a, t- it's, it's a tough business for sure. Yeah, for sure. So tell me about Little Remy. Were you always a change agent? Were you always looking to change things? Like, how did you get into that role? What were you like as a little, as a little boy growing up? <laughs> Oh I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how my parents might answer this question. Yeah, uh, how would they answer this? Yeah, I thought I was a pretty good kid. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
something changed you. My dad was an entrepreneur, right? So he's an, he, my dad was, a, he was an immigrant. He was born in Italy and, and very, the classic story, borrowed suitcase, 60 cents in his pocket, didn't know English, taught himself how to, he self-taught English. Yeah. Listening to records and, wow. and hanging around people that spoke English as opposed to staying within his own group all the time. So it's a great story. And He's my, he's still, he's still one of my biggest mentors. So I think growing up, I, I learned a lot from him. I always worked hard. I was always sort of the guy that kept his, kept his room in order. I was very neat. I wasn't, I wasn't an A student. I loved sports. I played hockey and football and all that and soccer and all that stuff. And so I was very energetic, but I don't know if I was a disruptor back then. I would say when I entered high school, I would say I definitely started becoming more disruptive, but you know, who didn't, right? Um, yeah, maybe yeah. shit disturber is a better word, but you know, I enjoyed my time in high school and I definitely like to push the envelope there. So maybe that's where it started to, uh, started to germinate was in high school. Yeah, you still like to push the envelope. I still like to push the envelope. Does your wife say you'd like to push the envelope? Oh, hands down, she would tell me. <laughs> Yeah, I'd blow up the envelope. That should probably be <laughs> That's what she'd say. Yes, yes. That's good, though. That's really good. We need pioneers like that. Yeah, we I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we need. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they keep people on their toes and challenge the status quo. And I think that's a good thing, right? Most times it's a good thing. Yeah. It's always a good thing. Well, we are in the era of challenging the status quo today we really are yeah it's a great thing about being i feel like growing up now you you're you're definitely not as encouraged i feel like as as i was to conform i feel like people are much much more accepting to say hey take be who you are take your own path and i, th I think that's i think that's fantastic I, I yeah really do. yeah yeah i do too i really do i think there's been this pent-up demand for that right yeah yeah I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, it's great. You know, a lot of people like the millennials and I don't know what the, are they generation zero? I'm not sure what they're called. Z. Now, but, Z. I don't you know, know about zero, but Z. Z. Yeah. yeah. Z. There you go. But I think they've really done a very, you know, that generation is, has challenged the status quo. They're not afraid to challenge the status quo. And why do we do things that way? And does it really have to be that way? No, it doesn't. I think, I think they're the ones that will end up saving the world. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, and a lot of them are consumers now today, and they're the B2B consumers that are actually changing the cycle of sales, right? I mean, you had this pent up demand of, wait a minute, I want more data, I want more knowledge, I want to drive the seat, right? That's totally changed sales today. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it definitely goes back to what we talked about earlier in terms of how the buyers change. So I agree, it's generational and, and they want the business buying decision to the B2B decision to be like the B2C decision. Mm -hmm. Like, why can't this just be like buying another iPhone for me? Like, what, why does it have to be so cumbersome? And why do we have to meet face to face like 25 times before we can, you know, so it's, they want that they, those experiences are becoming more and more alike. And I think, the, yeah, those consumers are driving that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you do outside of work? What's your, what are your crazy passions? Is there Hobby. a life outside of work? I, I haven't really had one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't have a I've life got, outside I, of work. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a I've got a six-year-old who keeps me very busy. Yeah. He's an incredibly smart kid who asks very deep questions. I didn't know a six-year-old could 
ask questions like that. So that's awesome. Like, what's yeah. a question that he asks you? Like, when what it, recently have you been blown away? Like, how the hell did you come up with that? Yeah, just just daily questions. Like, just so we send him to private school, and it's a Catholic school. So he he comes up with like, where did God come from? <laughs> wow. Just like, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> Right. Um, or, you know, ask the nuns at the Catholic school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ask. Yeah. Right. Ask your teacher tomorrow. See what she said. Or why, why do, you know, why do, why do snakes not have legs or why do zebras have stripes? Things like this. Very. Yeah. So he's a very smart boy and he's, he's very active too. So he's in, we've got him in karate, hockey, swimming and soccer and baseball. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So he's always doing something, although we try not to overschedule him because we don't want to be those parents, but he's busy. So he keeps me busy and I, and I love it. It's it's seeing him score a goal in hockey or do something in karate is he's that's that's often the highlight of my day. That's awesome. What is he yeah. the best at or does he like all of them? He loves all of them. He hasn't he hasn't gotten to the age yet where he's picked and he loves swimming. Ooh. Um, I think hockey would probably come after that. Soccer would probably be last. And he's just trying baseball, so we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. But those are his two favorite, right? Now. Yeah, super fun, super fun. Seeing life through kid. his eyes, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a shot of life every 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 time he gets. I love that. I love yeah. that. What's his name? Alexander. Alexander. Ooh, very regal name. Yes. Yes, he likes, and it's Alexander. He does not like Alex. It's Alexander, please. <laughs> I love how he already has an opinion like that. That's awesome. Oh, yes. Yeah. So his 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 full name is quite, you know, it's Alexander Giovanni Piazza. It's a very, yes. Yeah, so he likes Damn. to say that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, Damn, he loves I love to say it. that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Kosaic, and then tell us how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, as we mentioned, Cosaic's a fintech company. We have two major products, Chart IQ, which is the charting technology that you often see on retail and institutional websites that help you make informed trade decisions. And we really are the gold standard in that industry. And then we have another product called Finsemble, which is more of a workflow optimization tool. And so what it does is and we work in the capital markets. So the buy side, the sell side, capital markets companies, we work, our end users tend to be traders. And we take all this, all this, all this data and we aggregate that data and make it digestible so they can make decisions relatively quick and not cost their company millions of dollars in bad trades. Essentially, that's what we do. And That's uh, and a yeah, big deal today, making all a, that data yeah. compact and accessible, especially in yeah. your markets. Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever seen some traders' desks, they literally have 10 monitors that, and they need to take in all this data. And, and there's 10 or 20 different data points they need to consume before they make these decisions in relatively short order. So it can be very, these, these mistakes can be very expensive when we help them by aggregating that data and make sure the data talks to each other and, and they can make those decisions quicker and, and more informed. Yeah. Saves a lot of time, a lot of money. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So getting in touch. Yeah. I mean, email is the best. It's my email address is remy.piazza at cosaic.io. That's the best way to reach out to me. And yeah, yeah, definitely. I look for, I get a lot of calls from a lot of salespeople still 
saying, Hey, you know, what would you do in this situation? I love, I love helping people out like that. And through Pavilion, I've, we've mentored, I've mentored a couple of people too, which is always really, really fun. Are you still mentoring sales?